It's now 10 o'clock. So today we're going to look at a head and neck imaging. Basically, we're going to review some of the anatomy that you would have been given in the last couple of weeks. This lecture is to help you appreciate the real radiological sections that you would see on different slices. So we're going to go through some x-rays. We're going to go through some CT scans and some MRIs to help you understand and detain some of the anatomy, as I said, that you would have been given in the head and neck. So these are some of the slides you would see already. So this is a coronal view through the skull. And basically, we would use the same principles that we would have seen earlier on the terms in BPM1, BPM2. You would be looking at radio densities, lucencies. Lucencies means dark. Opacities mean white. So as you can see right here, you realize that you have skull. The cortex of the bone, bone is very thick, so that's why it shows up as white. So you have your anterior cranial fossa, your middle cranial fossa, and your posterior cranial fossa. So here you can see some of the tissue that would be located in your anterior fossa showing up as dark. We have this depression right here, and this is going to be your crystal galley. So this is the orbital plate of the frontal bone. Here's your crystal galley. And almost immediately, you should be asking yourself, what do I have on either side of the crystal galley? And what should come to mind? It Somebody said something? What do you have on either side of the crystal galley? You have the cribriform plate. And the cribriform plate, that's where you're going to have your cells taking up all of the olfactory sensation. And you should also realize that if you have a fracture of the anterior cranial fossa, that cribriform plate could actually be fractured and CSF could leak from the below the brain into the nose. And when you have that happening, you have something called rhinorrhea. CSF leaking from the cranial cavity into the nasal cavity. So here you have the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid bone, and almost immediately you should be asking yourself, what are these lucencies? So you should remember that you have air spaces in the skull, you have the frontal sinuses, you have the maxillary sinus, you have your ethmoid air cells, you have your uh, mastoid air cells, and your sphenoid sinus. So they are normally going to show up as radiolucencies because they contain air. So based on what I have just said, what you should realize is that this radiolucency that you see here should be none other than the maxillary sinus, which is one of the bigger ones that we could appreciate. So there's the orbit. So you'd realize if you look very carefully also, you're going to see some of the muscles. You're going to name them as the lecture goes on. There's your ethmoidal sinus or ethmoidal air cells. Here is the inferior concha, the maxillary sinus. So right here, you're going to have your nasal cavity. Okay, here you can see some teeth. Always important in anatomy. So we just said that you have this area here being the maxillary sinus. And based on the anatomy that you would have been given, here you can appreciate, it's not very well seen on this side, however, you can appreciate the opening of the maxillary sinus. And right here, you're going to appreciate the ethmoidal bulla. So there's an area of cells, ethmoidal cells, ethmoidal bulla, just under the opening of the maxillary sinus, when related to the opening of the maxillary sinus. So this is going to be your middle meatus, 
inferior meatus. So sorry, you have inferior concha, middle concha, and below them you're going to have your meatus. Let's look at the lateral skull. So once again, very important, you have to have a systematic approach. So this is going to be your outer table of bone, your inner table of bone. And sometimes this makes it very, very difficult, especially if you don't know the normal, to determine what's a fracture and what is normal morphology. What do I mean by normal morphology? Here you can see some of the sutures. So here you can see jagged lines, which are very, very normal. This is your lamboidal suture. And the suture lines have an interlocking of bone. So that's why they give you this sore tooth appearance. Also, what we call normal features would be the branching of these vessels here. Anybody can tell me what these vessels are or branches of? They would be meningeal arteries. Okay. Here you can see the air. So let's look at some of the other species. So as we said, radiolucencies. So this radiolucency that we see here is going to be the frontal sinus. This is the region of the orbit. Here we can see some teeth. So this means this is going to be hard palate. So this area that we see here is going to be nasal cavity. We come down a little bit further. You'd realize that we begin to see some areas right here. So this is another area that's filled with air. So related to the nasal cavity, this region here, we can more or less say this will be your oropharynx. And then we're going to have the, sorry, the nasopharynx. And then you're going to have the oropharynx related with the mouth. Okay. Also important, here we can see this fossa right here. This is the pituitary fossa, or the pituitary gland sits in this fossa right here. Anterior clinoid process, posterior clinoid process. And almost immediately, if I said this is the pituitary gland, you should be thinking about what sinus you have here, and that is going to be your sphenoid sinus. So more or less, you can appreciate or kind of gesticulate see where things are, gesticulate, not gesticulate, where things are. So when you are approaching the lateral skull, you have to look for the outer table of bone, make sure there is no break in continuity. The inner table of bone, you look for the orbit, petrous bones, look at the vascular markings as well as the, the sutures. Okay. So here's your outer table of bone, inner table of bone, the orbit, your frontal sin sinus, ethmoidal sinuses, your maxillary sinus, sphenoid sinus, your vascular markings, which are normal in this case, your coronal suture, and the lamboidal suture. Notice the interlocking of bone. So, it's very important to divide the cranium into the anterior cranial fossa, the middle cranial fossa, and the posterior cranial fossa and also know what structures are in those fossa. So you have in the anterior cranial fossa, you would have cranial lymph number one. The middle cranial fossa, you'll have two, three, v uh, four, six, and the ophthalmic division of the trigeminal nerve. You would also have the, for the foramen rotundum, the foramen ovale, foramen spinosum, where you're gonna have the middle meningeal artery, and the foramen lacerum, where you're going to have it associated with the greater petrosal nerve. And as I said, why is this important? Because fractures at the base of the skull, which is going to be located anywhere around here, towards the base of the skull, can actually affect any one of these structures 
and therefore produce clinical symptoms. In your posterior cranial fossa, you're going to have the internal caustic meatus, where you're going to have 7 and 8, the jugular foramen, where you have the transmission of 9, 10, and 11, as well as the point where you're going to find your sigmoid sinus, you're going to have the hypoglossal canal and the foramen magnum. Once again, just looking and reminding ourselves of what we saw. So here we have the cellatusica. It means here it's going to be the pituitary gland associated with the pituitary gland. You're going to have this sinus here, which is your sphenoid sinus. Here you can appreciate your maxillary sinus. This is going to be the orbit, the oral cavity. So behind the nasal cavity, you will have your nasopharynx. And just at the point where you're going to have the uvula, that is going to where you're going to more or less signal the start of the oropharynx. Okay. This is a frontal view. So we're going to look at the frontal view once again. So here you can appreciate some of the other sutures that we've seen before. Here's your lambdoidal suture, sagittal suture, and this one is going to be your coronal suture. Here's a crystagalli. Now, generally, the body is symmetrical, or we could say there is nearly symmetry in the body. And if you do realize that this crystagalli should really divide that frontal sinus into two equal halves, however, this is normal. So if you look at it, here is the coronal, as I said, here's your sagittal, your lamboidal crystagalli, the frontal sinus, then we're going to look at structures in the orbit. So here is the lesser wing of the sphenoid bone. Here is a greater wing of the sphenoid bone, and the space in between those two is going to be called your superior orbital fissure, which you're going to see right in between here. So here is lesser wing, here is greater wing, and this space here is going to be your superior orbital fissure. Moving on, here we can see the ethmoidal air cells, nasal septum, so this is going to be your nasal cavity, your inferior concha odontoid process. So this bone that we see here is going to be the maxillary bone, uh, sorry, the mandibular. Here you have the teeth, alveolar processes of the teeth. Did I forget anything? No. So this is an application of what we just talked about. So if you look carefully, you would realize there are a series of lines that seem to be very strange. There are a series of opacities also that we did not see on the previous slide. So once again, if we take a systematic approach, we spoke about the outer table of bone and the inner table of bone. If you, in your mind's eye, if you trace it, you'd realize there's a break in continuity right here. And this talks about a fracture. So this fracture continues all the way under this bone. So there's a break in continuity between the outer table of bone and the, and the inner table of bone. What you'd also realize is that you have your sutures here, which seems to be normal. However, this line seems to be very regular. Now, what we spoke about anteriorly, we said that the arteries tend to branch. So if we don't see the branching pattern of the arteries, it means that more or less we can suspect a fracture. There's also a fracture line that is not supposed to be here. So this patient had a series of skull fractures that we can identify based on just knowing our anatomy. Here is your superior orbital ridge. And from the other slide, we could have seen the lesser wing of the sphenoid and the greater wing of the sphenoid, as well as the superior orbital fissure. What we see here is that we see an opacity. 
which means edema basically covering both orbital regions. Here is your nasal cavity. So what we can basically say is that this patient had some very serious cranial injuries as well as edemas, edema to the eye. So as I said, I spoke about how to approach it. You identify the normal anatomy. You look at the inner and outer table of bones. Make sure there is no breaking continuity. So what do I mean by breaking continuity? If you look at this side, you'd realize it's continuous. However, on this side, there is a break in the continuous contour of the outer and inner tables. You look at your sutures and remember the anatomical positions. You look for the normal lucencies because if you know where the normal lucencies are, you can tell where the abnormal ones are. And as I said, look for your va vascular markings and compare them with these abnormal findings. So there's your outer table of bone, inner table of bone, suture, sagittal suture. This one is going to be a lamboidal suture. And if you realize, if you compare them with these lines, you'd realize that these fracture lines are different, but this is a sawtooth apparent. And this gives you one straight line. It doesn't give you a branching apparent. So that's why we know that this is actually a fracture and not suture lines as well as branching of the arteries. Now, sometimes, especially in the emergency room, uh, surgical suites, there is a lot of trauma to the face. What happens is that the patient is normally the driver of a car or the other occupant in the front seat of the car. There is acceleration and deceleration. The face hits the windscreen as a result of which there is a lot of fractures to the face, the bony structures of the face. Now, one of the ways that we can actually evaluate this is called the occipital mental view. And it's always important to know the normal. And once you know the normal, you can more or less suspect or predict where some of the fractures are going to be. So let's quickly look at some of the normal anatomy. So remember the normal anatomy. You can see here one of the lucencies, which is going to be the frontal sinus, nasal cavity. Here is the orbit superior wall of the orbit, inferior wall of the orbit, zygoma, there's your maxillary sinus, mandible, these are very important infraorbital canals, which you can see on both sides, your coronoid process, your condylar process will be towards the back, associated with the TMJ, it's mandible as I said, and the odontal process. So you should be able to identify all of these structures. Now, one of the tricks that radiologists use is that they actually look at the zygoma and it forms the head and the trunk of the elephant. Okay? So you would trace this line here, the lateral wall of the orbit, the zygoma, and that gives you that trunk of that elephant. And these things are called Dolan's lines. What I want you to remember, or if you don't remember that, one of the ways to look for any type of fracture is to actually, in your mind's eye, just make sure that there is no breaking continuity of the bony structures. So here is a maxillary sinus. You can more or less know that it's a maxillary sinus because it's radiolucent. Lateral wall, medial wall, superior wall, or the inferior wall of the orbit. So these are some of the things that you need to pay attention to. So Dolan's lines, as I said, basically you have the zygoma and the arch. They form the head of the elephant. So for those of you who are inclined, 
you can just basically trace this around here this is basically what we see here sorry so so if you compare the two you'd realize that it's the same images that we speak about so as we said many of these things you would learn as you go along but all we would like you to know in the anatomy is basically where the fractures are we are not going to give you compound fractures or many fractures we're just going to ask you where one fracture is located and you should be able to see it by comparing one side to the other side so the way in which you can do that is to compare normal anatomical lucencies so we have the frontal sinuses here which are normal anatomical lucencies now we're talking about cortical defects we spoke about Dolan's lines so these lines are supposed to be nice and straight and have a nice contour we're going to look for soft tissue swelling periorbital air so we're talking about this is normally uh, radiopaque if we see radiolucency in areas above the orbit this refers to periorbital air and then fluid in the sinuses so the sinuses are supposed to be radiolucent if they become radiopaque we talk about a collection of fluid in the sinuses so once you know how to look for pathologies or where to look for them it becomes very easy one of the things that normally happens especially in trauma of the face is this type of pathology which we call a blowout fracture there is a blow towards the orbit the globe of the eye and the soft tissue actually transfers those forces to the weakest area of the orbit which would be the inferior wall of the orbit and as you can imagine there is going to be fracture here and that fracture is going to actually uh, go into the maxillary sinus so let's see if we can find some of the structures here so almost looking at this it seems that it seems very very difficult or for those of you who are not really seeing what I'm talking about if you use what I have just said you'd realize that if we trace this cortex there is a step off right here there's another one right here the globe of the eye seems to be very swollen if you compare this orbit with this orbit you'd realize that there is a radiolucency above here which talks about periorbital air there is a fracture if I continue around you realize that there's a fracture here if I look at Dolan's lines which we talked about the trunk the head and trunk of the elephant comparing this side with this side we realize that the two do not compare and more or less we can suspect that there has or there is a series of fractures in the face now would you be given this in the exam no okay you may be given one but not all together that this is a little bit much to ask you at this stage of your career so there's a radiolucency the abnormal one which is periorbital air you can see that there is a fracture right here there's another fracture here and as I said one of the most obvious ones are this is this one right here which is Dolan's lines so if you compare these or this zygoma with this zygoma you'd realize that there is a fracture right here and a fracture right here so that's how radiologists and doctors charge you a lot of money for just being systematic 
So let's look at the lateral view of the neck, the head and neck. So first of all, we can see some lucencies. So this is what we call lucencies, and you have your radio opacities. So looking very carefully, we realize that right here, this is the impression of the celatusica, uh, the pituitary gland. This radiolucency here is going to be the sphenoid sinus. Okay, so here we can see mandible superimpose one on the other. Hyoid body, the body of the hyoid bone. So above that, we're going to have the suprahyoid muscles. Below that, we're going to have the infrahyoid muscles. And we'll be looking at some of the structures which could actually jump out of us at us so here is the anterior sorry the posterior portion the anterior portion this is the hyoid so this structure that looks as a tongue the base of a tongue it is the tongue so you should be asking yourself if this is the base of a tongue i have a first piece of cartilage that's actually projecting upwards and that cartilage is going to be called the epiglottis epiglottic cartilage or epiglottis we move down a bit we can see a space in between or between the back of the tongue and the epiglottis so almost immediately you should be thinking of the vellecula the vellecula so if you look once again here you have the cricoid arch cartilage and if you look right here you have another pointed arch and this is going to be your thyroid sorry this is going to be your thyroid cartilage here you can see some rings calcification so this is going to be your trachea and behind this you're going to have the esophagus which is collapsed so once again we can basically say here is the hard palate so we know that this is nasal cavity so from here here we can see a little bit of the uvula soft palate right here so from here to here we know this is nasopharynx from here to the tip of the epiglottis is going to be oropharynx and then we'll continue down into the laryngopharynx so let's look at it there's a trick here so this region to the tip of the uvula all of this is going to be nasopharynx from the inferior aspect of the uvula to the tip of the epiglottis this is going to be oropharynx and then we continue down into laryngopharynx. Yes. Okay, we're going to see it in a bit. Yeah. It's the vellecula. Okay. That's where things get caught. All right. You're going to see what I'm talking about in a bit. So once again, we have nasopharynx, oropharynx, and laryngopharynx. Here is your esophagus. So. If you look at what I have basically just said, you look at the diagram. Here is a hyoid bone. Here is the epiglottis. And that space right in front is called the vellecula. That is where a lot of the foreign bodies actually get lodged. So there was a case of a 25-year-old man. He was playing with a staple in his mouth. He swallowed it and it ended up in the vellecula. called a popcorn box sometimes you're in a movie you get a funny joke and then piece of that popcorn just goes to the back of your throat and you're gonna <coughs> that's where it's stuck in that molecular 
All right, so let's look at some of the CT images very quickly. So we are looking, taking slices from the top, going down. So here is the frontal process of the zygomatic arch. Some of the normal anatomy you can see is this nasal cavity, globes of the eyes. So this means that this is the medial wall of the orbit, lateral wall. So therefore, this here is the lateral rectus, medial rectus, the optic nerve, the lens of the eye. the ethmoidal air cells right here. Here is your pituitary gland. So it means, therefore, just by association, if this is the pituitary gland and cellatusica, this has to be none other than your sphenoid sinus. We can see a little bit of the radiolucencies towards the back here. Here we can see the air associated with the mastoid process of the temporal bone. We have these cells here, which are your mastoid air cells. The muscle here is going to be your temporalis. Moving a little bit further down, this is sorry. Here we can see nose, which is anterior. This is posterior. So we're taking a slice, and what we can appreciate here, we can see the maxillary sinus. All right, you can see two little openings right alongside the nasal cavity, which will be your lacrimal openings for your lacrimal gland, lacrimal bone. Here we can appreciate the nasal septum. So this is your nasal cavity, maxillary sinus, nasal lacrimal duct, superior concha. Here we can see some radiolucencies, honeycomb cells. So it means, therefore, that this has to be your mastoid air cells. Just in front of the mastoid air cells, we have this radiolucent structure. This is going to be your external auditory meatus. If you push your hand in your air and you chew up and down, you would find that a joint is going to move. So this is going to be the area of your TMJ, the condylar process of the mandible. So just as you have the condylar process, you have to remember that the mandible makes a little U. So the front process of that U is going to be this little dot that we see here, radioopacity, which represents bone, being the coronoid process. Now, we need to ask ourselves if this is basically middle cranial fossa towards the back here. So, looking at this, we know that this here is mandible. So, it means, therefore, that the area associated behind the mandible or behind the temporalis muscle would be the infratemporal fossa. This is nasal cavity, so it means, therefore, what is the communication between the infratemporal fossa and this area here? This has to be none other than the PT fossa. So how does it get there? Through the foramen rotundum or through this canal. So let's move a little bit lower down. So what we can see now is that we have the maxillary sinus once again right here we have an opening towards the back and in order to know that this is nasopharynx remember what we said we said that there was a tube full of air that communicates the middle ear with the back of the throat in this case the nasopharynx here we have this structure here called the torus tubarius which is the elevation of cartilage one here and one here and this is the depression where 
the tympanic tube actually opens into the nasopharynx. Looking at this structure here, we would realize that this is the mandible. So it means, therefore, associated with the body of the mandible, we're going to have this gland, which is called the parotid gland. And here we can see the parotid tissue as well as some of the gland moving forward to actually open into the second molar. So there's your maxillary sinus, torus tubarius, the eustachian tube, styloid process, mastoid process, the ramus of the mandible. On the outside of the ramus of the mandible, we have the masseter muscle. Here you have the medial and lateral pterygoids. Okay. Lateral side, medial side. Moving a little bit further down, we can see that we are in a process or we have met hard palate, bottom of the maxillary sinus, here is the masseter, here is the parotid gland, and then we see that this structure is actually showing up, the tip of the structure is showing up on both sides, and this has to be the styloid process. Now if you look at this cartoon diagram, here is the styloid process, and we have an opening for the jugular, internal jugular vein called the jugular foramen, and just uh, anterior and medial to that, we're going to have the carotid canal. So if we look at this here, this is the styloid process. So this represents the styloid process. This here is the internal jugular. And just medial and anterior to that, we have this vessel here, which is the internal carotid. It's not the common carotid because we are too high up. So this is the internal carotid. Now associated with the parotid gland, we would have the external carotid artery and the retromandibular vein. Okay, we'll see that in we've seen that in the lab. So it means therefore that this area here, here you can see that this area here is going to be oropharynx. This is hard palate. So moving a little bit further down, now we realize that we begin to see some of the muscles that make up the flow of the mouth. We have the one that's associated with the mandible. Here's the mylohyoid, two slips of muscle that begin as columns and then fan out, which will go be your genio glossus. And then you're going to have this here, which will be your hyaloglossus muscles. This is SCM. So we spoke about the internal jugular. We said that this here was the common carotid artery. Now, if you look very carefully, one of the ways in which you can always identify an artery, in this case, you can see a little bit of an arteroma here. And we would say that this is the artery. So this is the internal jugular on this side. And this is the internal jugular on this side. Basically, on the right side, it's generally bigger, so don't be too alarmed about that. So these are the muscles that we find in the flow of the mouth. So this means here that this has to be oropharynx. So this is genioglossus, mylohyoid, and this is your oropharynx. Looking at the back here, this is your SCM. This is the trapezius muscles. So it means, therefore, that this would be posterior triangle, and we're going to see a little bit more of that as lecture continues. Moving down a little bit further, we realize that all of the muscles now have basically united, and it's very, very difficult to distinguish between a mylohyoid, genohyoid, and all the rest. So one of the other things that can actually help you locate where you are, here you can see a little lip of cartilage projecting upward. Here you can see space behind, which is the vellecular. So it means, therefore, that if I am seeing this follicular and I'm seeing this space here, this has to be none other than your laryngopharynx. 
So that's the epiglottis. This is this cartilage here. This is the vernacular. We don't see the body of the mandible. So it means, therefore, that the gland that is below the mandible has to be none other than the submandibular gland. The one that's associated with the body of the mandible would be a parotid gland. And your sublingual gland is going to be somewhere up here. So these here are going to be the submandibular glands. Running in the substance of the submandibular gland, you're going to have your facial artery. So moving a little bit further down, we can see this, the SCM, the internal jugular common carotid, hyoid bone, submandibular glands, greater horn, laryngopharynx. Very important. If you look right here, you'd realize that this is the internal jugular, the common carotid. And here we begin to see them bifurcating. One in front, one behind. The external carotid in front and the internal carotid behind. Remember, the external carotid gives off all of the branches in the neck, whereas the internal carotid doesn't give off any branches in the neck. So here's this, the stilocladomastoid, trapezius. So this means that you begin to get into the posterior triangle. Moving a little bit further down, you'd realize that we have this shield of cartilage. This will be your laryngeal uh, one of the laryngeal cartilage. It will be your thyroid cartilage. Behind, you will have your cricoid cartilage. Here is your stilocladomastoid. So these are the strap muscles of the neck. Here is levator scapulae. So it means, therefore, that you begin to see structures in the posterior compartment. And we're going to see the anterior, middle, and posterior scalenes in a bit. So there's your cricoid cartilage. So this has to be larynx, or laryngeal space. Moving a little bit further down. Now, if you realize that contrast, these vessels have contrast in them, now we get down a little bit further, and we realize that the structure around a C-shaped ring of cartilage begins to light up. So you have to think about what is the vascular structure around this C-ring shape of cartilage. This C-ring shape of cartilage de uh, defines or outlines this space here, which is going to be a trachea. So almost immediately, what should come to mind should be the thyroid gland with its lobes. So that's the thyroid isthmus, thyroid lobes, the trachea, and here you can see the esophagus. The esophagus is collapsed in this particular view. These are the posterior triangle, posterior to the SCM, your anterior, middle, and posterior scalenes. And this here is going to be your levator scapula. Alright. So thyroid lobe, strap muscles, common carotid. Here you can see a little bit of air in the esophagus. Patient probably burped. And this is where how you can identify the trachea and the esophagus. Moving a little bit further down, we can see some of the structures here. The patient was given some contrast. So it's given in the vein. It's coming up this way. So this is where the internal juggler meets the subclavian, uh, forms a brachiocephalic. And then it enters into the right atrium. So the only thing that I want you to remember here are these structures here, which is a common carotid and the internal juggler. So let's look very, very quickly at some of the anatomy, posterior fossa. So this is the mastoid air cells.
here is the external auditory meatus. Right here, we're going to have a tympanic membrane, middle ear. And then we begin to see a little bit of the inner ear. So what we're going to do on the next slide is we're going to blow this up and actually look at some of the structures that we find in the um, inner and middle ear. So this is what I'm talking about. So here is the tympanic membrane. As you can see here, the external auditory meatus, because the tympanic membrane. Right around here, you're going to have the ossicles. This is your epitympanic recess. And this is the labyrinth bone. So you're going to have the cochlea. So the first turn of the cochlea is going to be right here. The foot of the stapes is going to make this indentation. Right here. So as you say, cochlea is located here. And then your semicircular canals. As I said, this was the epitympanic recess, and this is the internal auditory meatus going back in this direction. Okay? So, these are the things that I want you to remember. The external auditory meatus, the epitympanic recess, middle ear, And this is the opening of the pharyngotympanic tube. This is a digital subtraction angiogram. We'll be looking at some of the um, vessels that come off of the external carotid. Common carotid. Coming up here. External carotid. Then you're going to have the first branch, which is going to go down south, which is going to be superior thyroid. Then the next one, if you look carefully, here you can see dentition. This is going to be lingual. And how do you differentiate lingual from facial? If you look at this, you'd realize that facial is tortuous. So facial is a tortuous one. So they come off superior thyroid, lingual, facial, occipital. And then you're going to have the two terminal branches, superficial temporal and maxillary. So there's a superior thyroid, lingual, facial, occipital, maxillary, and superficial temporal. So this is another one we're going to be looking at again. Here's your superior thyroid going south. Then we have this one here. It's a little bit strange, but if you know the general area, you'd realize that, as I said, this one is going to be the tortuous one, so this is going to be facial just by elimination. This has to be lingual. Then we're going to have this one here, which is the occipital going backwards. And then we can have the two terminal branches, which are going to be superficial temporal and maxillary. So we know that this is going to be one of your maxillary branches going here. This is your posterior auricular maxillary branch. What happens with this maxillary branch is it has twisted on itself. So just imagine it makes a knot and it actually comes out here. All right. Here is your maxillary sinus. So above the maxillary sinus, you're going to have your infraorbital artery. Here is your superficial temporal. All right. Now, for this particular angiogram, it would not come on your exam. I can assure you because there is a lot of, um, uh, al not altercations, there's a lot of um, variation here. So, this is not one. This is what I just want to show you. If you know the general area where things are, you can more or less predict. Okay. So, let's look at the lateral view of the internal carotid artery. Now, this is very important because the internal carotid artery has a series of bends or a series of um, 
curves as it gets from the neck into the cranial cavity. So the first part is this part here, which is called the cervical part, as you can see here. The next one here is where it gets into the carotid canal. It makes a little S, moves up and forward, and then it gets into the cavernous sinus, which makes this loop, and then it gets up into the, up runs up between the cerebrum. Now, it then divides into two parts, an anterior cerebral and the middle cerebral. Now, the middle cerebral is going to come laterally, as we can see here, to supply the lateral hemispheres of the brain, whereas the anterior one is going to run in between the two hemispheres of the brain. Now, sometimes it's very difficult, especially in a lateral view, to see which is which, but all you have to remember is that this one moving forward is anterior, and if you look right here, you have some of the pericolosal branches, which is around the, uh, the corpus callosum. So this one here has to be the anterior cerebral, and then this one here has to be middle cerebral. Looking at another view here, you can see the course of the carotid artery once again. The petrous spot, it moves up into the cavernous spot, is going to divide into an anterior cerebral, which is going to go more or less medially, and the middle cerebral, which is going to go laterally. Looking at the posterior circulation, here you can see the vertebral arteries, two of them, one on the left, one on the right. They unite and then they form the basilar artery just before or the basilar, sorry, the vertebral arteries um, unite. They give off the pica. At just when they unite, they give off the ica. And then at the level of the pons, you get the posterior cerebral artery and the superior cerebellar artery. Now all of that, you, the anterior circulation comes together with the posterior circulation to form something which we call the circle of wills, which we're going to see a, a bit of in a little bit. So this is another view where you have the vertebral arteries coming together to form the basilar arteries, and then you get your posterior cerebral arteries and the superior cerebellar arteries. And we normally refer to this as the posterior circulation. Now, here you can see an angiogram, once again, MRA. And here are your posterior cerebral arteries. You have to remember that this is a view like if you're looking down from above. So here you can see some of the crazy course of the carotid artery in the cervical region. It comes up, it makes its loop right here, and it's going to give off uh, anterior cerebral and a middle cerebral, because the middle cerebral is going to go to the lateral sides of the head and then they are going to form the circle of wills via the posterior communicating arteries, which you can see here, and then the anterior communicating arteries, which you can see along here. So let's look at some of the MRI to, this to, to finish off. So bone shows up as white, soft tissue. Sorry, bone shows up as black, and soft tissue shows up as white. So here you can see this is skull. This is the outer table of bone. This is the inner table of bone. Here is the cerebrum. Right here you can see the corpus callosum. This here is the lateral ventricle, sorry, septum pellucidum. And if you see a radiolucent area, you know that this is the lateral ventricle. Here is the nasal septum, bony palate. Here you can see the tongue, the soft palate. So it means, therefore, that this here has to be nasopharynx. This is the pituitary gland, pituitary stalk. So this means here has to be the sphenoid sinus. Okay. Now, if you look carefully, you would realize that above here, 
you have some of the vasculature actually lighting up because this here talks about some form of contrast within vessels. So you have a vessel or above here, you have another one below here, and you can see some others as we go along. So in your mind's eye, you should start thinking about them. So let's look at the circulation of the CSF. So here you have it from lateral ventricles, it goes into the intraventricular foramen, which is about here. Then this region here is going to be a third ventricle, which will then transfer or go into the cerebral aqueduct. This here is your fourth ventricle, the cerebellum pons. All right, so moving on, we would realize that it goes through two to get into the cisterna magna, which is in this region here. It has two openings, one median of um, Magendi and two Lushka, and then it's going to circulate in the brain. All right, so here's the corpus callosum, the areas of the thalamus, superior and inferior colliculi. So this should be the region of the superior and inferior colliculi. You have two on each side because this is a sagittal section. The cerebral peduncle, pons, medulla, and this is the level of the foramen magnum. So we were talking, we were talking about the venous structures. So here you have the superior sagittal sinus above here. This one here is going to be the inferior sagittal sinus. Here is going to be the formation of the great vein of Galen. This is going to be a straight sinus. And this area here is going to be a confluence of sinuses. You can have the transverse sinuses going in and out of the plane of the board. This here is the Osborne process. We spoke about all of the other stuff here. Looking at the coronal view, here is the cavernous sinus, the internal carotid, or position of the internal carotid artery, the pituitary stalk, pituitary gland, some of the nerves that you would find in the cavernous sinus. Right, so it means that this here is your sphenoid sinus. This is the base of, this is the tongue, sorry. So it means here this is the uvula, and we have to be asking ourselves what muscles elevate the uvula. This has to be levator veni palatini in this region here. So this would make this the nasopharynx. Here is the mandible. So you're going to have masseter on the outside. And you're going to have the pterygoids, medial pterygoids. So they form an M-complex, masseter, mandible, and medial pterygoid. So if this is medial pterygoid, it means that this muscle here has to be lateral pterygoid. We saw the opening of the torus tubarius, which would be in the nasopharynx, which is around here. So levator veli palatini, the tongue. Here is the skin and fat. Outer table of bone, inner table of bone, lateral fissure, temporal lobe, floor of the middle fossa. As we said, here is the masseter, the MMM complex, masseter, mandible, and the medial pterygoid. We said this was a lateral pterygoid. These are your lateral ventricles, third ventricle. Here's your superior sinus, third ventricle, the optic chiasm part of the internal carotid artery. This makes the S, one that's heading up in the cerebrum. Here is the pituitary gland, the pituitary stalk. Get your clickers out.
Wow. Okay, so this is a 56-year-old uh, man who comes to the emergency department after losing consciousness on the street. Pre-hospital resuscita resuscitation efforts were started. At present, in the emergency department, his Glasgow Coma Scale is 12, meaning basically that he is conscious, the resuscitation efforts were successful, imaging reveal a large aneurysm between the posterior cerebral and superior cerebellar artery. Which of the following nerves will most likely be compressed by the aneurysm? Okay? Where is the trochlear nerve? Where would you find that? Hmm? It's more or less going to be posterior, but the only one that you can actually find there will be the, the oculomotor. Alright? Now, if you go back to, if you go back to the slide, I'm sorry I didn't actually bring this slide because what happened, I was just trying to review some of the material that you would have been given. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to post this online for you with the diagram so that you can actually see where the Auckland motor nerve comes out. All right? Because this should have been given to you. Yes? Can I repoll it? attendance don't worry about it it's almost it's almost 10 to and I need to finish okay I'm going to talk to your course director let's do this one I don't want to take out of the other person's time Yes, it is a grace question. I'm going to show you where the, where the canal is actually is so that you can see it. Great. All right, so let's go back quickly. So you can see the inferior wall is very associated with this canal right here, which is where you're going to have the inferior orbital nerve coming out. All right. So as I said, I'm going to post that slide for you because it's a very important slide. And we'll take a 10-minute break and return at 11. <laughs>